Welcome back to A Thousand Names for God, episode 11, The Way of the Phoenix. My name is Rick Alexander. I'm the host of this show, and today I'm going to be sharing an essay that I wrote on the Phoenix myth. If you want to read the essay, you can find it at rickalexander.com. I'll link it up in the show notes of this episode. The way that I broke this myth down, and you'll see this if you read it, but first I talk about the myth, and when I write it, I write it in italics, but you can tell it's more mytho-poetic language, and then I alternate talking about reflections, psychological and spiritual reflections, on what I think the myth is presenting to us and what is coming forward. On the subject of transformation, I do want to say that I'm putting a five-part lecture series together on the psychological and spiritual realities of transformation, like what's actually happening in our psychological structures and our spiritual formation when we're going through a transformational process. And I designed it for coaches, guides, healers, anybody in helping professions that wants to really understand what it is that people are going through when they go through the transformational process. It's not a course, it's just a five-part lecture series, sort of a continuing ed or professional development. Even if you're somebody that isn't a coach or a guide, but is really interested in your own transformation or in transformational work in general, I think this will be a great tool to add to your, to your tool belt. I'm going to release that in the fall of this year, but if you want to be notified when I release that, I put a sign up sheet in the show notes of this episode as well. So you can click on there and just add your email and I'll let you know when it goes live. Again, it's going to be much cheaper than a course because, well, two reasons. One, it's not a course. I'm not coaching in it. I'm simply providing you with a lot of information on the psychological realities of transformation. And also because I really want this work to get out there to as many people as possible because I really do believe that it's deeply human to go through transformation. It's one of the only ways that we stay in harmony and in concert with our lives. So if you want to be notified on when that goes live, head to the link in the show notes of this episode and you'll get an email when I launch it. Without further ado, on to the way of the phoenix. There's another sacred bird, too, whose name is Phoenix. I myself have never seen it, only pictures of it. For the bird seldom comes into Egypt, once in 500 years, as the people of Heliopolis say. The reason I use that quote to start this essay is because the idea is that the Phoenix lives for 500 years in this realm beyond the sun, comes into physical time and space where destruction and new creation take place for its transformational process. The phoenix lives, like many great teachers, in a world beyond the sun, only crossing and transcending into our world with a message of renewal when the cries of humanity become so great that they reach the ethereal terrace that connects all worlds. To break into time and space where it is needed, the bird flies through the human psyche and travels eternally through the path of collective wisdom and mythology. The kind that tells a story that is more true than anything we might label as nonfiction today. 
Remnants of this transformative bird are found all throughout the ancient world, from Ovid the poet to Herodotus the 5th century BC father of Greek history. Stories are teeming with legends of the transformative archetype. While details differ from culture to culture, there are certain themes that emerge and stay consistent throughout history. Those same themes can also be found in today's modern symbols of transformation. The process of rebirth and transformation have not changed in thousands of years because the operating instructions that are baked into the universe have not changed, and neither has the fundamental psychological structure of the human being. Over time, patterns emerge, and those patterns give us insight into what might be coming next. In the case of transformation, they tell us when rejecting the pain of moving forward creates the suffering of stagnant existence. They tell us that when we feel we're on the brink of collapse, so too are we on the brink of new life. Comparative mythologist Joseph Campbell understood archetypes as spontaneous productions of the human psyche. This is self-evident by the fact that unrelated cultures throughout time have expressed the same theme of rebirth with different manifestations each appropriate to their culture. What we can conclude, then, is that the blueprint for transformation is quite literally embedded within us by virtue of who and what we are. We no longer see the phoenix but embody it. We become it, and it us, until the revival is complete. So what I'm putting forward there, just to take a quick break, is that your mind wants to transform, that your psyche is seeking wholeness, and so you're finding yourself constantly in old patterns, and the reason being is because it's giving you an opportunity to heal from them. You're seeing that your psyche is bringing you into situations that make transformation possible. Where we tend to run into a lot of resistance is when we either stay unaware Right? We stay unaware of these patterns that are asking something new of us, and so it feels like we're reliving the same hell when that happens. Or what happens is that we're clinging to the safe life we've known, and so when life is asking us to transform, it's asking us to become more because life wants to transform us into the fullness of who we are, you could say. But when we resist that, it starts to turn into a really painful existence. And I'll touch on more of that as we go through this. But I wanted to touch on this idea of archetypes being spontaneous productions of the human psyche because it's quite literally our roadmap once we learn to follow it. The phoenix lives within all people and makes its appearance known when the stars come together in a way that makes sense for the stars, but rarely makes any at all to us on the ground. While it spends 500 human years in radiant beauty, on its final night, it looks a bit weary. There is no moonlight to speak of, but if there were, you would see the lines that time has traced along the outside of the bird's eye. They run down into its neck and get lost in the remaining red and gold hue that shimmers from its wings. It spends the entire night working diligently, building a nest with aromatic spices, twigs, and cloves, ensuring that nothing is out of place. What looks like chaos from the ground might look like the path of destiny from the heavens. The cost of being human is that we on the ground are asked to bear the burden of the mystery. We're asked to find the courage to move forward, despite the once beaten path being covered with mud and grown over with thorns. The catch is, the divine will never ask us to be what we are not. We're not asked to wade into the chaos of our lives, deaf and dumb, without our wits. We are asked to be human, and humans are given an internal compass for when the terrain features no longer make any sense. We sink into the heart when the head has lost its way. The heart knows the way to living water. 
The place where new birth and new life will once again become a possibility. Now, the reason I put that in the essay is because what happens is when we tend to find ourselves in times of tribulation and struggle, we tend to lean into the head. We tend to lean into logic. We tend to lean into whatever survival patterns have got us here. And it's recognizing that what transformation is telling us is that what got us here isn't going to get us there. We must transform. We must find a new way of navigating the world. We must find a deeper sense of who we are because that's what we're transforming into. When the ancient world is to receive something new, you see a similar motif appear as spices are brought as an offering. Among others, myrrh and frankincense are discussed in the ancient tales of the phoenix. A gift brings honor to a situation, and new fragrances help purify the air and transport one to another place entirely. Transforming the experience of the senses can transform the experience of the sensor, as sense is what we use to know what and where we are. This is how Israel transformed once demonic sites in Canaan into holy temples where light could flood into the darkness. Incense is often used today in spiritual practices for this same reason. Catholic services both east and west burn incense as a symbol of prayer and the faithful rising to heaven. It's a reach for the place that animates all new life. Moreover, myrrh is seen throughout the Bible's Old and New Testaments and is critical to anointing oils. Moses is asked by God to gather myrrh in Exodus 30. The Magi, commonly understood as the wise men in the story of the birth of Jesus, bring these spices as gifts to his birth. And in the book of Revelations, there's a reference to the church of Smyrna, which is the Greek word for myrrh. You might also understand the entirety of the Bible as a narrative that describes the whole of human rebirth and redemption from our earliest reaches for consciousness to the reclamation of the light, which was once understood as our original birthright. And I'll tell you, I think that's the best definition of the Bible that I could give. Um, And I think it's very interesting to see where in the biblical stories and the myth that we use in our culture, what it drew from these other myths, because you see, as I said, the same symbols of transformation, they just occur in different ways. As the phoenix finishes building its nest meticulously and with the kind of self-respect that produces inward satisfaction that we should all aspire to in our creations, the night is beginning to reach its blackest moment. I am reminded here of a scene from the movie Titanic. As the ship is going down, the captain and his crew put on their finest suits in order to prepare for the cold, dark abyss that awaits them. See, they prefer the composure of dignity and somehow find it, though all finite hope has surely been lost to their chaotic and untimely departure from the world. There's an idea seen throughout the yogic practices of the East that life is not necessarily about what you are doing, but rather it is about how you are doing it. Pride in self and in creation, satisfaction in our toil and our work accomplished, and contentment in a life fully lived does not produce any quantifiable metrics that the world will celebrate. And yet, as a finite creature that stands before the great I am of eternity, there lies a consolable feeling in the soul that one can only attain when honor is rendered to all that you've been, all that you are, and all that you've done. If life is about arriving somewhere safely, we've all been put into a game that we cannot possibly win. The end, after all, awaits everyone. If, however, life is about giving yourself entirely to it, if it is about spending yourself completely in an act of defiant love and pouring your heart and soul into the time you are given, 
that not even death can corrupt the life we've lived. Even the coldest and darkest ends have not been given authority over the human spirit. As the stillness of the dark sets in, the bird begins to sing a song that's so hauntingly beautiful that the sun, which is currently employed warming the opposite end of the world, can't bear to go on without stopping to listen. The song marks the unification of all things. Here we find Mary, heartbroken and in anguish, sitting under the cross. We find Shiva, dancing on top of creation and ushering in its destruction. We find, too, the Big Bang, with a force so great that it tears a hole in the perfect arc of being. Whole and undisturbed primordial life suddenly comes tumbling into the division of time and space to begin the biological drama that we are embedded within. The song marks the single point in which destruction and creation collide and once again begin their dance through eternity. Hate buckling under the power of love, pain collapsing into beauty, and sheer darkness flooded with incandescent light. When we have the courage to actually feel and go through what hurts, we're given the remedy to what heals. All of our attempts to go around our pain will never give us access to the phoenix. When we delay the end of a relationship that we know is over, when we stay in a job after the spirit has gone away and called us elsewhere, all of these are feeble attempts to avoid and go around what must be gone through. What the phoenix teaches us is that there is a great beauty in the end. Chilling, haunting, but beautiful nonetheless. As the song begins to reach its final notes, a single tear falls from the bird's right eye in admiration for the creatures that will never make it out of the rubble. It mourns itself on behalf of the collective. The tear that falls from the bird's eye is a spark from heaven itself, acting as the divine catalyst that creates all things new as the old reaches its final resting place. As the spark gently meets the perfectly constructed nest, the moonless night erupts into illumination as flames consume the once magnificent bird. What is to be whole must include what has been broken. If life is to be complete, it must include death. Here we come face to face with one of the most difficult of all human truths. In a finite world, it is only the destruction of what was that creates space for the emergence of new beauty. The heartbroken lover left bleeding on the ground and pining for the touch of their companion is broken wide open, so open in fact that their capacity to feel is magnified beyond anything they've previously known. This newfound capacity to feel will eventually give them the ability to love in new and deeper ways. Here too, one sees the logic in the old adage that one can only love to the depth and degree to which they can suffer. When the end becomes imminent, we can be sure that we are up against creative energy. After Shiva dances over the destruction of the universe, the god turns around and Brahma, the creator, once again begins conducting the cosmic orchestra. The stone the builders rejected becomes the apex point of Solomon's new temple. What was becomes the doorway into what will be. Taking a quick break from the essay here, if you study patterns, you'll start to notice that, right? This is why in the Christ myth, for example, this person who's executed as a criminal in the most vulnerable and, and worst imaginable way becomes the deity that the empire worships. Patterns flip so that they can become whole. So the end becomes the beginning. What was becomes the doorway into what will be. 
The sun will patiently check on the ashes three times as it revolves around the earth and keeps a watchful eye on all of creation. As the light of the third dawn begins to creep its way into the forest, a new phoenix begins to emerge from the ashes. Like a candle, which has been melted down and reused in the creation of a new one, its essence is passed on, but it is born altogether anew. We find here another motif that arises in the transformational process. It is the latent period that precedes new birth, but cannot be skipped over. Jesus spent three days in hell, and Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale. Christianity recognizes the doctrine of the Trinity, which hints at the dynamism and inner workings of God. Throughout history, three represents dynamic process and relationship. By inviting us into this relationship, the total becomes four, the number symbolizing wholeness and perfection, as if the way to become whole is by entering into the dynamic love and eternal dance that is symbolized by the three. So what I'm saying here is that there's two things coming together. It's the symbol of the three, and it's also the latency period. While undergoing this latency period, it feels as though all hope is lost. We will spend time mourning because no part of the process can be missed or skipped. Those who numb the pain of what was will sober up only to realize that the pain is still waiting for them. The transformational process must be gone through in its entirety in order to be completed. That likely means honoring the heartbreak below the destruction. We must also remember, however, that our story doesn't end here. The whale spits Jonah back out into the world, effectively giving him another opportunity to complete his divine mission. The post-transformational vantage point tells us a tale of redemption, of the tomb being empty and the whole of humanity redeemed to their creator. See, this too is part of our blueprint. The phoenix forms an egg with the remains of its ancestors and will prepare to offer the egg as homage to the altar of the sun. We tell tales of times past in order to honor all that has come before us and all that has made our life possible. We pay homage to properly take our place in the great chain of being. It's how we steward wisdom and continue love's eternal quest to evolve and understand itself. Writer-philosopher George Santayana said it best, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. As the new phoenix stretches its wings, ready to fly east back into paradise and outside of the mortal world, the revived red and gold hue once again shimmers with the beauty of emerging possibility. The kind we can only feel when we have a newborn in our arms or when we're falling for someone so completely that the surrounding world disappears into background noise taking our burdens and complaints with it. A chance to right wrongs, to fly in a new direction, and to feel boundless in the face of the innumerable odds that are to come. The Phoenix represents a perspective so high it's impossible for us to grasp it with the intellectual mind. For this reason, symbolism helps us conceptualize our own underlying spirit. The tale is a gift born from an energetic frequency so high that light, love, and truth all cease to become separate from one another. Today we call that frequency the divine. The gift is the opportunity to embody revival and once again to find yourself in atonement with all that is and ever will be. We face our peril because it precedes our genesis. 